Hi there, I'm Rachel. I'm Peter. And this is All, All for, for Animals. Animals. <laughs> and thank you for joining us again for another episode today. Rachel will be the ringleader of this episode, and we have got kind of a more, what would you call it, serious, sad? Somber. Somber. <laughs> Great adjective, yeah. Yes. Somber episode today. Yes. Today's topic is going to be about compassion fatigue and burnout when working with animals in any capacity, but especially anytime you are doing any kind of animal welfare or care, like day to day. Because of the very heavy nature of today's episode, I'm going to start and end the episode with the mental health hotlines that are here in the U.S. There is the free and confidential 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week hotline. The number is 866-903-3787, or there's also the number 988. Now, that one can be a little bit different funding-wise from state to state, so you might end up having to pay a little bit to talk to someone on that one. But if it is a crisis, I would much rather you know that number and it is a lot easier to remember than the 866 number. Have your feelings about your job changed recently? Have you felt more irritable, sad, or impatient? Do you feel like maybe you won't be able to or want to continue working in your current field or position? And if, if you've answered yes to any of those questions, listen on because it could possibly be that you're experiencing some symptoms of compassion fatigue or burnout. I have a question for you, actually, Peter. Sure. When I was researching this subject, I I kind of thought that compassion fatigue and burnout were pretty much the same thing. Did you know that they are actually very different? I didn't know. I thought that they were kind of interchangeable. They, I mean, a lot of their symptoms do overlap. However, the main difference between the two of them is that compassion fatigue is caused by the exposure to traumatic material. So it's essentially almost like a secondary PTSD. You're witnessing or playing some part in witnessing an animal's or other person's trauma, and that leaves its own traumatic scar on you. Burnout, on the other hand, is usually more so caused by environmental attributes such as the the office environment that you are working in, the specific job you're doing, coworkers, your supervisor, or just in general, a poor behavioral culture in your job. Right. Compassion fatigue and burnout are two distinct types of stresses that bring about mental, physical, and emotional exhaustion. The signs of compassion fatigue tend to be things like headaches, extra sadness, grief. You notice that you're a t you're, you tend to avoid working with certain people. You're having nightmares, changes in your belief systems. You might also even start to experience some emotional disconnect from the people around you. Symptoms can mirror PTSD, like I mentioned. And they can also mirror psychological disorders, um, and they can also come with psychological disorders such as anxiety and depression. Sure. They can bring about muscle tension and cognitive shifts, which was kind of that same idea of changing the way you, you look at the world around you. Right. Now, since a lot of the symptoms of the two tend to overlap, I'm just going to add in the additional symptoms that tend to come along with burnout, and that would be anger, frustration, cynicism, negativity, and withdrawal, like social withdrawal, 
not wanting to do the things that used to bring you enjoyment and, and things like that. Sure. Right. So we already talked about the biggest difference between compassion fatigue and burnout, since compassion fatigue is caused by being exposed to trauma and burnout is usually caused by more more of the environmental aspects. The next big difference is going to be compassion fatigue tends to have a more sudden onset and can be distinctly felt after the first experience of kind of absorbing another person's trauma or being there to witness it or having to play some part in trying to care for that person or animal in that situation that's sure. traumatizing in and of right. itself. And then let me guess is the, the burnout is more of kind of slowly over time, almost kind of. Yes. It's burnout tends to be a bit more insidious because it's kind of that pot or I'm sorry. It's kind of like that frog in a pot of boiling water metaphor where you don't even necessarily notice it at first and slowly over time. It's too late. You are. Yeah, you're getting too much paperwork, you're not getting enough lack of, or I'm sorry, you're not getting enough resources to do your job properly, you're having to work longer shifts, things, things pile up on you, and it takes time for that to happen. Right. Compassion fatigue is the term that describes, like, the impact of helping others, whether it be people or animals. And burnout is the term that Im- that describes the impact of a stressful workplace. So one is a little bit more changeable within your field, and that would be burnout. And that can be something like finding a new job at a better a better office or a better practice or whatever the case may be, a different salon where the environment just kind of vibes with you a little bit better. Um, something like that where, you know, you might just be having too much expected of you in that one particular area, or maybe you just need to be able to delegate a little bit better, divvy up the responsibilities amongst you and your colleagues as much as possible. Whereas compassion fatigue tends to be one of those things that it kind of comes with the territory and you have to learn how to, I'm sorry, it comes with the territory of caring for people or animals because you're going to see some things that are going to really upset you. So you have to just be prepared to take that on and learn how to properly manage it, get the help that you need. A therapist can be very helpful for both of these, actually. They can also be helpful just in in allowing you to ask yourself the right kinds of questions to help you just kind of differentiate which one you might be suffering with, because they can be so similar. It can be really hard to tell at first. Part of what I wanted to talk about with the compassion fatigue in particular is what counselor and author Jennifer Blau, I think is her name, describes it as a form of disenfranchised grief, which basically means it's not widely validated by mainstream society. And that really struck a chord with me because it's very true. You tend to feel more isolated and like no one is going to understand when you say something like, oh, I lost a dog that I've been grooming since I was a puppy today. My client just called and we cried together. And that's really, really hard for me. Lots of other people probably won't necessarily understand that because they'll basically brush it off as, well, it wasn't your dog, so you're good. Or even worse, it was just a dog. So why are you upset? Have you experienced any of that? Oh, absolutely. Um, even as, I mean, 
Hell, I probably cried, oh, a dozen times last year over dogs I've lost. And me and you, Rachel, we're in a market for senior animals. You know, yeah. um, a, a lot of the dogs that I see, they, they went to a salon their whole life and now they're old and over with and they're done with everyone's shit. Much like <laughs> I will be when I'm 80. Yeah. And they need that one-on-one, that quick in and out and the convenience of comfort of being right in their owner's driveway. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's also about the attachment you see this dog every four to six weeks you can't yeah. not grow an attachment hell i mean i've had a i had a goldfish that i had for probably five six years and i was heartbroken when he passed away and furthermore it was my fault i shocked the tank doing a water change and um so of course there was a little bit of guilt in line with that and i think that was something sure. that a lot of my friends couldn't understand is like dude it's just a fish and i was just so frustrated i ended up throwing the whole tank away i didn't even want to i didn't want to even see the tank with a new new fish in it um it would have just been totally understandable and then with people like veterinarians they have the added burden of having to perform euthanasia they have the added burden of seeing all of the actual physical trauma that is happening to dogs and cats and whatever other animals they treat on a daily basis so they're seeing firsthand just how much these poor little creatures that basically trust us all us us humans with their entire lives right. and we're see- they're seeing how much they go through because of us humans and that kind of trauma especially compounded over what tends to be a very long career it's it's not something to sneeze at it's a huge deal and it's definitely something that i'm really glad that we are as a society becoming more and more open to discussing because that isolation and loneliness and feeling like your grief and sadness or trauma is somehow not valid. That's what, that's what really messes people up. Well, and I think especially with veterinarians, it's, you know, you get some of the closure there. Of course, when I was working at an animal hospital, a lot of the vets, what they enjoyed doing is I wouldn't say enjoy doing, but more so get the ability to get closure was once the animals deceased and the owners had left. Um, we would actually, you know, do a sympathy card where we would um, take a paw print of the animal as a sign of respect. And of course, just letting the owner know we get it. Sure. Um, and then giving that added kind of closure, which is something that we don't get. I don't get it anyway. Um, you know, the owner texts you, hey, Peter, with a heavy heart, so-and-so's passed away. And it's kind of like, you know, we brief, we talk on the phone, you know, we, um, Mm -hmm. you know, I give my compassionate peace and then it's over and they're not, you know, the dog's not there and the client often you don't see any longer. It's almost like you lose, you don't just lose the dog when the dog passes away, you lose the client. And of course for me, not having that Mm -hmm. many clients, um, 80, 90, um, it's difficult. You know, you get these dogs that you see and these people you get to know and you ask yeah. about their lives and then the vets get it even harder. We become, yeah, we become part of everybody's family that we see all the time. I mean, how can you not, especially as mobile groomers, we're invited into these exactly. people's homes. We, 
yeah, we help them with other things too, or at least I do, you know, I bring in packages for my clients and they ask me to do small tasks because a lot of my clients are also elderly and can't drive their dogs to and from the grooming salons themselves and everything. Oh, sure. Or I mean, I've even helped, helped set up Venmo's, you know, <laughs> help set up a Venmo account yeah. for a client <laughs> or kind of show them how to operate my automated text messaging system. Um, yeah. And then furthermore, you know, I meet with a lot of um, people that perhaps they are lonely themselves. And me being there is an opportunity for them to get to talk. And, you know, yeah. we're talking about off-topic things that don't relate to animals, you know. So-and-so's divorce or what their vacation plans are. And that's, yeah. um, I give that to my clients because sometimes I need that. And also, it's a good way to get to know your clients. And mm-hmm. I think that's that's what really keeps me from getting burnt out. And Rachel, I know you agree with this. Having clients you can't relate to or difficult clients in general can be, you know, I I deal with nervous, even aggressive dogs all day, but a, a, mm-hmm. a more cold person, it's, you don't get that added joy of getting to groom their dog and to get to know them. It's kind of, yeah. and luckily for me, I don't have a lot of that, but I would say that having the good clients that are really sweet and understanding and you really want to get to know more about them and, and their days and their lives. Um, it, it keeps you from getting burnt out. Well, for me, you were talking about at like the vet clinics, some of the things that would help everybody get more closure. And one of them was the sympathy card. I adopted that practice. I did as well. So when one of my clients, yeah. When one of my clients lets me know that one of the pets that I've worked with, has passed away, then I write them out a beautiful little sympathy card. And I actually get these little, um, seed paper hearts Mm. where you can just like put them in some damp soil and, uh, wildflowers grow where you plant them. That's a really good idea. So I put those in there. Yeah. And I let people know they can plant a little wildflower, wildflower garden for their, uh, for the memory of their pet. And, I think, it, or at least it makes me feel better that I've gotten to at least just say one more time, I'm so sorry that you've lost your pet and they meant a lot to me too. Well, in a written sentiment, I feel like hits home harder. I mean, when I had lost um, one of my cats to FIP, you know, I had yeah. gotten a sympathy card. Hell, even our local PetSmart gave me a call to let me know the store was thinking about me. And I think that that kind of it's good to see. And that's almost a pay it forward for me is, you know, that made me feel sure. good when I needed it. Um, why not do the same for my clients? Because we do give a damn. And I think that what takes 10 minutes out of my day to uh, write a nice candid little note and send it out, maybe will help them in a way that I don't know. Yeah. So as with just about any other mental health condition, both burnout and compassion fatigue can lead to a lot of kind of anger or resentment, which over time can change your worldview, even leading to you tending to see the worst in people. This is definitely something I've struggled with, seeing some of the absolutely horrible neglect of the pets that I've been uh, trusted to care for. I can start to feel like all that abuse and neglect is how just everyone is treating their animals tends to make you more cynical with your clients feeling hopeless in your job or like even whole career path and feel like you don't have that way of making a difference, which 
so many of us that work with animals, that's like one of our main goals is we just want to make that difference for that animal somehow. Right. And now I, let's dissect this a little bit mm-hmm. because, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off there, but I, I'm really glad you touched on this point because I still struggle with this in all honesty. Oh, yeah. Um, this feeling of, what'd you say, hopelessness? And yes. That everything has just succumbed to allowing people to neglect their animals, and it's not necessarily allowance. Here's an example that I like to give. Um, obviously, I've been an animal person my whole life. Mm-hmm. There's almost every single day I'm reminded why I'm an animal person. And it could be as simple as someone cuts me off in traffic or oh. you, know, um, <laughs> you you read in the news something, something just horrendous. Sure. And it shouldn't be. And, and a lot of other people's heads, I don't know, necessarily go there. But what I always try to remind myself, especially when I go out to the rescue and I see these dogs that have just been horribly mistreated by people. There are people just like me and just like Rachel and just like a lot of our listeners that can't stand the abuse just as much, if not more than us. Yeah. And there are people right alongside of us that have made it their life's mission to help. And I'm not here to necessarily extinguish neglect and abuse, but I'm here for the animals to have someone to lean on for when the neglect comes out. Sure. So, and it's hard for me when I go out to the rescue to see these dogs just so miserable. But then you think to yourself, you know, this rescue has these animals and their care now. They get a fresh start at a new life. And I get to be the one with the privilege of kind of starting that, that new life. I love shaving down an animal at a rescue and just seeing how they've obviously not had much experience groom, being groomed or on a table, but they know, they know what's going on. Yeah. And it's almost symbolism when that pelted coat falls off that that is your old life yeah and we throw that in the trash and you move on and you get a restart absolutely that's a wonderful way of looking at it I just wanted to dissect that a little bit sorry to catch you off there but that hits home for me because that's something that as a newer groomer and you know I'm only 24 I still struggle to remind myself that there are people just like us willing to put their best foot forward to help the animals yeah it really does help to take a moment to think about that. And it's funny that you mentioned that because here in just a second, that's going to be big on my list of ways to combat it. So mm-hmm. according to that same author that I mentioned earlier, Jennifer Bao, and I really do hope I'm saying her name correctly, there are essentially three main elements to battling compassion fatigue. The first one is pretty obvious, and thank God right now we are having a massive resurgence and recognition that this is needed, and that is self-care. Mm-hmm. And it goes beyond the simple and more reductive version of just make some time for a nice relaxing bath or go get a massage. Although I do right. want to put in here, those are also self-care and everyone, everyone listening, you deserve those too. Don't get me wrong. Right. However, self-care activities, the definition, I guess, are activities that make you more resilient in the face of stress. So these things also include things like getting a good night's sleep, eating a healthy diet, exercising and engaging in hobbies outside of your animal work. And self-care can look very different for every different person. And again, that's another place where a therapist can be helpful in identifying what might be positive self-care for you right it's not a one-size-fits-all exactly what works for you may not work for the next person yeah there's a million there's a million different avenues to take so the second main element 
is support. And again, this can also be extremely different for everyone. It can be someone like a therapist, a trusted friend, a support group. It doesn't really matter where the support is coming from, as long as you have that connection and ability to feel validated and understood, which is important for everybody to be able to process all of the heavy emotions that come with our jobs. Right. Well, and then that also kind of helps combat that feeling of, oh, I'm the only one that feels this way. I'm the only one that has to deal with this. Yes, it helps Um, to eliminate that feeling of isolation. Right, exactly. So the third and final main element is exactly what you were just talking about, Peter, the compassion satisfaction. It has an actual name. (laughs) And essentially, this is the happy stuff that we get to experience from our work. So for vets, it would be remembering that for every euthanasia, there's also that brand new puppy that's just so excited to come and and visit their vet for the very first time. It's also the time that you got to save that dog and adopt them out to a wonderful, loving family. And then you treated that dog into old age and he lived in the lap of luxury. So it's also the things that we tend to say, make it all worth it. It's very important Mm -hmm. to try and focus on the positives so that we don't forget about them on the days that tend to be more filled with negatives and just help you to not drown in that feeling of anger, hopelessness, cynicism, whichever it might be. And it can help bolster you through those days when it feels like you can't make a difference because you absolutely can. I think it's good to practice even the worst scenario If you dig hard enough and you look at it from a different angle, you'll find some good in there. Yeah. And that's kind of what you want to hold on to. I think that's kind of what keeps me going anyway. All the stress and all the hard emotions make it worth it if you you think this way. If you find that that good positive that comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's um, honestly the most vital piece to kind of conquering some of these feelings of hopelessness and isolation that you get. Absolutely. So my next... Right little spiel here (laughs) is going to be the main ways to cope with burnout. And it's extremely important to remember that if you're feeling burnt out, first of all, you're not weak, inadequate, or less than in any way. The reason you might feel that way is usually just because there's far too much on your plate. And the first way to actually fight burnout is to figure out where specifically it's coming from. So I have a list of questions that you can kind of ask yourself and maybe get a better feel for if there's anything in particular about your current situation that is contributing more to that burnout and you might be able to change in some way. So the first question is, is this job right for me? Should I look for a new job? So that could mean, you know, is this particular career path right for me? Is this job within that career path right for me? Or even is this job at this particular office or salon or veterinary practice, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Are any of those things the correct choice for me? So let's talk about that for a second with our own experience, Rachel. Because I didn't enjoy grooming the way I enjoyed grooming until I started my own business. Sure. And I know that kind of was the same with you. Like you enjoyed grooming, but the practice where you had started 
you learn you started to learn at PetSmart and that wasn't the environment that you would thrive in. Exactly. And so you took it upon yourself to yeah. So I just want to give everybody here an example when we're going through these questions. That way you can you you listeners out there can kind of define in your head a time where you've you've asked yourself that question and found your answer. Yeah. Um, well and see like yeah, I've worked at a bunch hand. of different kinds of salons. And like I lived in Oklahoma for a couple of years and I worked at this. It was a privately owned salon, which in my experience told me that it should be better than like the corporate ones like PetSmart. But it was owned by a man who did not know anything about grooming. And that right there spelled out disaster. And I just didn't know it at the time. Sure. And I was absolutely miserable there. Right. So it it absolutely, I love my job, but that place made me so miserable. So it's... The environment will make all the difference. Exactly. So it's, it is very much, it's difficult to think about sometimes and you kind of get bogged down and, and stuck in that day to day. How am I supposed to get through this all? It is possible to change the situation with burnout and compassion fatigue. It might not be the, the most fun process, but... It, it is absolutely worth it to find the place that works best for you. Well, and my problem was I was such a new groomer and I had been through like three or four salons mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, do I just hate the environment that I'm in or do I hate the grooming trade itself? Sure. And this isn't for me. And I went out and, and when I kind of started to grow my own business, I had groomed out of my mom's basement for a little while. And that's when I started like, okay, like I get to work at my own pace, listen to the music I want to listen to do the style I want to do. And that's when it, I had that aha moment where it was like, okay, it's more of I need to start my own business because I'm not going to be satisfied working for somebody else. Exactly. Um, and so that's when I got the mobile and was going to do mobile for a few years until I found my brick and mortar and then fell in love with mobile and met Rachel and <laughs> <laughs> we'll never get to the brick and mortar side of things. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's it's a hard question to think sometimes, and sometimes it can be really, really confusing. Yeah, which is why I wanted to kind of have this little list of things that you can kind of just tick off in your head. Just be like, hmm, sure, okay, this one doesn't apply, but maybe this one does a little bit. So the next question that I have is, is there anything that I can take off of my plate by delegating to others? And I feel like that's probably something that... People more in a brick and mortar or with a lot of employees or veterinarians and practice owners and those types might benefit more from than us specifically since we tend to work on our own. So there really isn't anybody to de delegate to. Well, I mean, for me, I have the girl that works under me. Sure. I hand her the stuff that, that I can, you know, um, for example... How much time do we spend doing laundry, Rachel? Oh my I mean, gosh. Washing dog towels. And, <laughs> right, exactly. I do more dog towels than my own damn laundry. And being able to delegate that to someone and help them get their foot in the door to the industry. Yeah. Um, and kind of help with the cleaning and maintaining. And it's funny you mentioned that because one of my other questions is can I afford to hire someone to help me around the house yeah. while I deal with my <laughs> work or go. caregiving responsibilities? Absolutely. <laughs> Good. Good. So yeah. yes, you have somebody that you are able to hire on to help you pick up some of that slack and that is fantastic. And if more people right. are cognizant of that and are able to recognize that, hey, this is something I can do too. I can have somebody come in and clean the house once a week. I can hire somebody else to help me with some of these other tasks that are just taking up so much of my time so I can focus on the things that will matter more to me. That's super helpful. 
Sure. So then another one I have here is, are there commitments in my life that I can eliminate or postpone for now as I try to manage my other responsibilities? So again, pretty straightforward. Have you taken on too much? Is there something that you can be like, you know what? Not sure I'm going to get to that right now. Anything like that. And then I added in one that I find to be probably the most important for me. And that is, do I feel valued and respected at my job? Am I being forced to deal with abuse from other staff or clients at work? And I think not enough is said about that. There's a little bit too much of that the customer is always right mentality, which has allowed a lot of people to think that they can get away with just outright abusing the people who are trying to work with them in whatever professional capacity they are working in. Well, and then furthermore, you get a boss that's going to put the client above you. Yeah. And that's not an environment you can work for. I think that talking about how you see the silver lining and everything, all the shitty bosses I've had have showed me exactly how I don't want to run my business in the future. Exactly. Um, And that, that was the biggest takeaway, Rachel. You're exactly right. It's like, I think my generation, the younger generation, has really, really kind of stomped on the customer is always right. Um, of course, thank being goodness someone had to. <laughs> yes, but you don't get to treat people like shit and still get their service. That's not how it works. Yes, it shouldn't work at a McDonald's. It shouldn't work at a at a local business. It shouldn't work at a vet's office. Your groomer. Yeah, respect and respect in our our business goes three ways. I respect you and your dog. You and your dog respect me. Well, and And for us too, it's also about that trust. You know, if you feel that it's acceptable to steamroll over us and abuse us, there isn't that trust there that needs to be there for a job such as ours where, you know, we're working with sharp objects around a moving target. We have to know that you're going to trust us to do our best job. We have to know that we can trust you. And should something happen. Yes. Right. I don't want to sit here riddening with anxiety, grooming your dog, because I'm going to worry about you blaming me for this or you blaming me for this and da 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 da. I don't. I don't put up with it anymore because that's what's going to burn me out more than anything. Yeah. And those. And I w- will say this: those types of clients and those people, at least in my experience, have been a needle in a haystack. Bulk of the people that have inquired or are on my schedule are very, very kind, understanding, and they understand my business and the process. Mm -hmm. And we don't even have to have that conversation about mutual respect. Yeah, but you and I both have had several lovely interactions over the last couple of weeks. (laughs) Yes, and I write those people off so quick because you're an adult. I'm not going to sit here and have the mutual respect conversation with you. That's something you should know. Yes. And if you don't know that, I'm not the groomer for you. Yeah, <laughs> no. it isn't your responsibility so, to have to teach people how no. to treat another I'm a human groomer. being. <laughs> right, I'm a groomer, not an emotional regulator for Exactly. You, so. Well, and see, I was also going to mention that one client that you and I both got to uh, experience her particular brand of crazy. Oh, good Lord. I don't think I, I got to tell about. you, but uh, she reached back out to me last week, and I guess somehow she thought she could bully me into putting her back on my schedule yeah i liked the dog i didn't like the owner that was the problem exactly (laughs) it just became too much to stand there in her doorway while she inspected every single hair exactly well and it was like you know i can even understand kind of doing the whole quote-unquote inspection maybe the first groom or two because at that point you aren't familiar with my work you haven't experienced it but i groomed for that woman for over six months And she was like every three to four weeks and she 
it was the same exact thing every single time. And I just got fed up with it. And I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to spend an extra 15 minutes standing here every time while you look over every single hair on your dog. There are too many good people on this earth for me to waste my time weeding through the shitty ones. I'm not doing it. Yeah, being able to pick and choose who you're willing to work with is a huge luxury of working, of owning your own business and working for yourself that I am never going to be willing to give up again. I've had way too many bosses that would tell me, oh, well, they've spent too much money here. You can't let them go and you just have to find a way to work with them. I'm not interested in doing that anymore. And I will say, I, I agree, it's give or take, and I would definitely rather have the added stress of owning the business to have the other luxuries, but I do miss when I was working for people and I was on a vacation and all my ass had to do was request off. Yeah. <laughs> I think that there's this this stigma when you own a business. Well, you own a business, you can do whatever the hell you want. And it's like, no, I'm at the mercy of a lot of fucking people. Yeah. But when you get to be picky of who you're at the mercy of it makes it all worth it and this all goes back to that client groomer um, relationship where my clients they respect and they understand me and yeah and it makes me feel so I don't want to say talented but appreciated yes and I know that you feel that too yes right so after identifying the aspects of your life or job that are causing the burnout You can start to implement changes such as finding a better work-life balance, leaving a toxic work environment, delegating some of your responsibilities. Peter, you mentioned wanting to be able to go off on vacation and not have your phone blow up. You could always hire a virtual assistant, my friend. Just putting it out there. Um, And most importantly, for both passion, or I'm sorry, most importantly for both compassion fatigue and burnout, the most important thing you can do is setting and maintaining proper boundaries. It's so important for you to not have to be quote unquote on all the time and to be able to mm-hmm. just relax and enjoy your life outside of your job because your right. job is not your entire life and you have to have those things that exist just to bring you joy and happiness or you're just going to go bonkers. And I've already been there right. for years. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and that's the thing is I think that when, when Rachel and I met, um, it was kind of, she was over here being a people pleaser Yep. <laughs> and I'm over here, I'm over here kind of practicing how to be more diplomatic and how to create good customer service relationships. Um, uh, and that's where we kind of, I think, helped Differ. each other where I yeah. was able, I helped you, I think, and I say this humbly, I helped you create boundaries for yourself Oh yeah. and you helped me. You helped me put the brakes on getting burnt out before we got to that point. Yes. Uh, thank you. I hope I know. Because helped. if I groomed how you groomed before we met, I would not be grooming right now. I would oh, not wow. be grooming right now. I would have been so burnt out. Well, good. I'm glad that I was able to help you because, I mean, I definitely struggle to maintain that that balance. And so, sure. actually, that's how I want to end the episode. I'm going to come back to that here in just a second. But I was just sure. going to mention... That, again, therapy can be very beneficial for addressing both burnout and compassion fatigue. And also, even if you don't have the opportunity or the financial ability to participate in therapy, joining community groups and uh, participating in local events, connecting with friends and family, pursuing your favorite or even brand new hobbies, anything that brings you that spark of joy and reminds you why you're happy 
is always very important. Right. And they can always help to shed some light on the subject. And I'm going to leave you all with my little soapbox here. I definitely struggle with the hustle and grind mindset all the time. It's really easy for me to get so swept up in trying to accommodate as many special needs pups as possible that I just completely forget to leave myself any time for a social life or the creative hobbies that bring me ton of a ton of joy. And it's it's so easy for anyone working with animals to get wrapped up in trying to take care of everyone and everything around them before themselves. So I'd like to leave you all with the reminder that you all matter and you deserve peace and joy in your lives. So please find someone you can talk things out with, take care of your physical health, however is best for you, and set those boundaries. You will thank yourself later. Absolutely. And I also have a resource for everybody. Anybody that is looking for a place to start and isn't quite sure where to dive in, the uh, author that I referenced several times throughout this episode, Jennifer Blau, uh, wrote a very specific book just for those of us that work with animals. It is called To Save a Starfish, a compassion fatigue workbook for the animal welfare warrior. That looks like an amazing resource. I haven't read the whole thing. I have thumbed through it, but I am so excited to dig through it because I think it's going to be very, very illuminating and a great resource for everybody that works with animals. You know, we're always requesting stories. Um, and I think that um, if, if anyone has a story of a situation or a time where they knew they were feeling burnt out, feel free to share. Yes. And I think that that's kind of why we do this. I like to share my stories of, you know, like how me and Rachel had talked about a client we had shared that really, really burnt us out mm-hmm. and kind of how we dealt with that um, because we're not we're not the only ones. And I think that writing and sharing your experience, even if it's anonymous, with us and others, um, maybe it'll help you more than you think. Absolutely. Um, Rachel, please provide that email for everybody. Absolutely. It is allforanimalspodcast at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from everybody, and I, I strongly hope that you guys consider sharing your stories with us. Yes, please do. We'd love to hear because we are part of your community, and you are not alone. And again, just in case anyone is struggling with a mental health crisis, that phone number for the 24-hour, 7-day-a-week, confidential and free mental health hotline is 866-903-3787. Take care.